Welcome to episode number 214. Today we are starting our series on grass-fed, home-raised beef. So this is going to pertain to you if you are looking and or are raising your own beef or if you are wanting to find a local farmer and purchasing beef from them. So we're going to be walking through what you need to know about butcher day, regardless if it's your own cow or if it's where you are purchasing it from a farmer. Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, your host, Melissa K. Norris, where we dive into all things living homegrown and handmade using modern homesteading to raise, preserve, and cook your own organic food no matter where you live. Today's episode, which is part of a series, so this is part one, actually came to be from those of you who are following me on Instagram and Facebook. I shared a photo of when we were picking up our beef for the year. And many of you guys ask questions about butcher day, what you need to know about your cut and wrap order in order to get the most out of your meat. And so we decided that we definitely needed to have a series covering this because you guys had a lot of great and fabulous questions. When it comes to raising your own beef, this has been a lifelong experience for me. I grew up on a cattle farm. My dad, we always raised our own beef. In fact, when I was growing up, our herd was about at the peak was about 120 cattle is what he ran in a herd. And then for just a short period of time, right when my husband and I first got married, we didn't raise our own beef cattle. I just got beef from my dad. But we quickly decided that we needed to be raising our own beef because the first year that we were married, so I moved from my parents' house, my husband and I got married. And then of course, we moved into our own home. I was pretty young. I was 18 when I got married and I'd never managed a household before where you're in charge of, you know, cooking and just all the stuff that goes into having a house. We had got beef from my dad and I didn't realize that I should have been a little bit more conservative with how I was using our hamburger. And so we ran out of our hamburger meat way before butcher time. Typically, most people will butcher in the fall because the cattle are at their fattest. So they have the most amount of meat on them. They've got the most fat on them. And in times of old, they would butcher in the fall because that was when the weather was going to be cool enough that they could age the meat and then the meat would keep through the winter months because because of those cold temperatures. So there's quite a few different reasons that we still really usually butcher in the fall months. You can butcher any time of the year, but most of your home growers and cattle ranchers and smaller farms still usually butcher in the fall. I know this is true for us because like I said, those animals, we're not having to feed them hay yet. So they're on the gain. You want them to be on the gain as they're gaining weight. When you butcher, you don't want them to start losing weight before you hit that butcher date. And they're coming off of those great summer pastures. So we butcher the end anywhere from about the end of September, usually through October, sometimes the beginning of November, just depending upon the year and the weather. So if you run out of a certain cut of meat way before butcher date, like I did with the hamburger that first year, then I had to go to the store and being raised on home grown grass-fed beef, 
I had honestly never cooked anything else. I'd never cooked store-bought meat. Now, you know, if we went to a restaurant or a friend's house or something like that, of course, I'd had, you know, store, store-bought store meat that wasn't home-raised like that, but I had never really cooked it and I didn't eat it very often. And so I went and bought some hamburger for us and it was fine. There was nothing wrong with the meat. But I tell you what, when I went to cook it, I could not believe how much liquid came out of it. And it just had a weird odor and the taste was horrible. And we vowed then and there that we would never run out of homegrown beef again, and especially hamburger. And so after that, I got better at knowing how much we were going to be going through and how to plan out my cooking to make it last. But we decided that we wanted to be raising our own grass-fed beef again, because there was no way we were eating that stuff from the store. Now, we don't butcher our cows ourselves, and there's a couple of different reasons for that. One, we do not have a fridge cold storage space in order to let the animal age and to hang properly. And I'm going to talk about that because this is something you need to know, regardless if you're doing your own butchering, if it's your own cattle, if you're getting the beef from somewhere else, but this is things that you want to be able to talk to the farmer and or the butcher about in order to get the absolute best flavor as well as tender texture on your meat. So where we live, we have a traveling butcher. So they come out to our farm and they butcher the cattle, right? I should say they kill the cattle and gut the cattle and bleed it right on site. Then they take the hanging carcass in a large refrigerated truck to the actual location of the butcher. When you are killing the animal and the butcher does the actual kill shot, you want to make sure that the animal is in as relaxed state as possible, that their adrenaline is not rushing, that they're not hyped up, because if they have a lot of adrenaline flood them at the time of killing, then it can taint the meat. And a lot of people feel that it really gives an off flavor to the meat. So it's really important that your animals are calm. And this is one of the reasons that we have the butcher actually come to our location and that that's the way that they operate. So if it's your cattle, we start practicing feeding them in a round pen or where the butcher is going to be coming so that they are used to going into that enclosure. We don't want the butcher having to chase them all over the field, especially if you have cattle that are not going to be being butchered. Um, it's You want to make sure that you have them separated out so that it's very easy for the butcher to just be focused on the cows that are being butchered. We begin feeding ours in the round pen about a week to two weeks leading up to our butcher date, like I said, so that they're used to being in that enclosure, they're used to coming to their food so that on the day of the butcher, the butcher will give you the time approximately that they're going to arrive on your farm. And so we right before then will go out and feed and then separate out. So the cows that are being butchered stay in where the feed is, the rest of them go out of the pen. And then when the butcher comes, the cattle are already separated and they're comfortable. They're, you know, in in a pan that they've been in before and are used to it so that he can do a quick kill shot so that there's no stress on the animal. Now, on butcher day, there's some cuts of the animal that you are going to get right then and there. And then the rest of the cow will go to the butcher to be processed later for cut and wrap. So that's what we're going to be addressing today. So you will get the organ meats, and this is true if you are purchasing the animal from a farmer, and if you want these cuts, then you can ask for them. 
or if you're having your own cow butchered. So the tongue, the heart, the liver, those are things that you are going to get right then at there if you ask for them. Usually the butcher will ask you, do you want these? Perhaps not always. So it's important to know if you want these cuts that you get them right then and there. Now, personally, the organ meats can be a great source of iron and they can have a lot of great things of them. But I have to be honest with you. I personally, I do not care how you prepare liver. I don't like it. And I know that it can be a great source of iron and lots of other things, but I don't like it. We've tried soaking it in milk. We've, of course, fried it up with onions. I don't like the smell of liver and I don't like the flavor of it. So we personally don't use the liver meat for us. Some people get it and they'll cook it up and they'll feed it. If, they've, if you've got dogs, a lot of people like to give it like that. Totally your choice if you want to make sure you're using all parts of the animal. But just from personal experience, we don't like to eat the liver ourselves. So that's not one we get. Now, the tongue makes excellent sandwiches. Now, it does look like a tongue. You do have to skin it and then prepare it, cook it. And then you slice it thin and it makes great sandwich meat. So a lot of people really do like to get the tongue. And then, like I said, they just slice that up after they've cooked it and use it for sandwiches. Then there is the heart. So you've got that other organs that some people like to take as well. Now, one that we don't usually use and keep is the brain. And the brain can be sauteed. It can be pan fried. It can be boiled. It has a lot of nutrients in there. Beef brain is only something that I would consume and we don't. That's one that we don't use personally here on the homestead. We use a lot of pieces of the cow, but the brain's not one that we keep and eat. You obviously want to make sure that it does not have mad cow disease, which with your home farm that's using good grass-fed practices, and that's not something that you're going to really come in, but I wouldn't purchase uh, brain just from the store if I didn't know how that animal was raised. And it's also high in cholesterol, which there's varying, varying takes and studies on cholesterol and of eating things that are high in cholesterol actually raises your cholesterol. But just a little FYI, that's something else to take into consideration. Now, those are your typical cuts that a lot of people are really familiar with that you would be getting on the day of butcher. So you want to have some type of container. We just take out a couple large stainless steel bowls. The butcher puts them right in the stainless steel bowls, and then we bring them in the house to put in the fridge or to prepare right then and there, depending on what we're doing. And if you're not able to be there, but it's you're getting it from a farmer, you can just ask them and they'll usually put it in some large plastic bags or whatnot for you, and then you can go and pick it up from them. But one of the cuts that a lot of people aren't familiar with that you get on butcher day is called the hanging tenderloin. Now, we call it the hanging tender. It can also be referred to some people know it as like a hanger steak that you'll hear that term. But this is one that you're going to want to get and you do have to request it on butcher day. The hanging tenderloin is a connective muscle and it's where the last rib and the spine connect to the diaphragm of the cow. So it has good flavor. It's probably a stronger flavor than you're used to in most of your steak and beef cuts, but it's really good. In fact, it's one of our favorites. We really enjoy it. And you only get one of these per animal, kind of like the organs. Like a lot of your steaks and different cuts, you're going to get multiple cuts of those, but there's only one hanging tender per animal. And we grill ours and then pull it off the grill. We do it to about a medium. 
little bit more than medium rare because I don't like my steak too rare. And then we pull it off and then put some butter on it and cover it up and let that butter soak in and then slice it thinly and along the grain. And it's a little bit chewier, I would say, than like a regular, like a rib steak or a New York or even the tender side of a regular T-bone steak. But it is really good flavor. So highly recommend getting that and using that. And you're going to get an extra steak cut all on butcher day. And usually the hanging tender is large enough that we get two meals out of it. Now, this is going to depend on the size of your family, obviously, and and how much everybody's eating. But it's a pretty decent sized cut. But like I said, most butchers don't automatically ask you if you want that. You have to tell them when they're on site. I want the hanging tender. Now, those are the cuts that you're going to get right then and there. Oh, I almost forgot one. I got to look at my notes, you guys. (laughs) The oxtail. So on butcher day, you definitely want to take the oxtail. The oxtail, it's got a decent amount of meat on it, but it makes some of the best bone broth and then soup you will ever have. And this is typically a cut a lot of people don't ask for or don't use. And it's such a shame. Sometimes I'm kind of disappointed, like, oh, man, I'm only getting one of these a year. They are they're fabulous. I love them. So that's what you'll get right there at the butcher day is the oxtail. Usually what I do with mine. Now, if you've got an Instapot, then I throw mine in the Instapot with quite a bit of water and some onions and some garlic. You can throw some carrots in there, whatever you normally would put in for when you are making broth. And you can just put in the oxtail. Sometimes I'll just do that is I will just throw in the oxtail and I'll just throw the water on there. And then I put that in. I do high pressure on the Instapot for about one hour and then let that come down, release the pressure. And then I pull out the oxtail and it's definitely a fatty cut, but it's delicious flavor because of this. So then I'll let it cool down enough where I can pull out the actual oxtail part and let it cool down enough where I can handle it. And then I will take the meat off of there and then I'll toss the fat in, you know, connective tissue. I don't want that, but I'll take that meat off of there and then put that back in strain because I've strained the broth, right? Then I take the meat off and I put it um, and hold that. And then I'll put in my regular vegetables and all of my herbs and everything that I want to make my soup. So typically that's going to be onions, garlic, could be celery, definitely carrots. If you've got any peppers, I like to throw some peppers in there. I like to put a lot of rosemary in there, some thyme, some oregano, a little bit of sage. And then I simmer that until those vegetables are soft. And then I go ahead and add the meat back in and then throw in any other seasonings, usually some fresh ground black pepper, of course, some salt, a little bit of smoked paprika and a little tiny pinch of chili powder. And that is going to make one of the best soups you have ever had. It's fabulous. In fact, this past fall, if you were, were a member of the Pioneering Today Academy, we had a homestead meetup here on my homestead that was open to people who are in the academy. And it had been right. It was the week of butcher week. And so I used my oxtail to make a big, huge pot of soup so that everybody could taste it. And it was so much fun because a lot of people hadn't had it before. And they were 
so surprised at how delicious and flavorful it was. So I have a feeling we have a lot of people now going to butcher shops and asking for oxtail. So it's a great overlooked piece of meat that you definitely want to get and you get it on butcher day. Now, if you don't have an Instapot, you can do the same thing in a slow cooker or just a regular large stock pot on the stove, but you're going to need to simmer it on low for a lot longer in order to get all of the good collagen and the gelatin and the flavors out of that oxtail and for the meat to be fully cooked. So it's just tender and just, oh, just falls right off. So good. So that is going to be everything now that I got the oxtail in there that you're going to be getting meat wise on the actual butcher day. Then the rest of the hanging carcass is going to go with the butcher to the butcher shop. And this is one key part. You want to make sure that that beef is dry aged in cold storage for a long period of time. Ideally, at least 21 days, which is three weeks, provided that the animal has enough of a fat layer on it. Now, sometimes when you're doing grass-fed beef, they don't have as much fat as a lot of the grain-fed commercially raised, which is just fine with me. I don't want a grain-fed commercially raised animal after that good grass-fed and grass-finished. Now, of course, we're raising our own, so I know that they're always on grass. But if you're buying it from a local farmer, you want to make sure that it is grass-fed and that it's grass-finished. Most small local farmers, just if it's grass-fed, it's all the way through. But there are some, especially when you get into more of like the commercial meat and you're going to the store and buying it, which I know we're talking about home race, but just a little bit of info. Um, You want to make sure that it says grassed finished because some farmers will have the cows on grass. They are grass fed. But then as it comes closer to butcher time, they will start to feed them a lot of grain and they don't finish them on grass. And that is not ideal either. We want them grass fed the entire time. But in order to get the best flavor on your meat, you want it to be dry aged. So some butcher shops will just do seven to 14 days. So we always specify we want it to go as close as long as they have the space. So sometimes, as I said, that butcher time in the fall can be very busy and they may not have the space in order to hang it as long as you would like, but at a minimum, minimum 14 day hanging time for that cool, dry aging. And the reason for that is as it ages, there's enzymes in the meat And as it ages, you want it to break down the meat so that then when we go to cook it, it's already more tender and the flavor, you guys, is so much improved. So I often feel that when people say, well, I tried grass-fed beef or I tried home-raised beef and I I didn't like it or they thought maybe it tastes gamey. Now, not I can't say 100% of the time, but a big portion of the time, my best guess would be that it was not dry aged correctly or for long enough. So you'll want to double check with the farmer and or the butcher, depending on where you're at. And even if you're getting the animal from another farmer, you can call in and request to the butcher. But you want to make sure that they are aging that beef for at least two, if not three weeks. Now, one of the beautiful things about buying your beef this way is you'll either get a whole beef or a half a beef. And a lot of farmers will even do a quarter. So they'll let you buy a quarter of a beef. So this is going to depend on the size of your family, obviously, on how much meat you need to take you through a year. But it is extremely economical because you are paying the same price per pound 
for all the cuts of meat. So you're not paying more for those prime cuts. And it's usually always been cheaper anytime I have ever priced meat, which like I said, I, I rarely, you know, once in the 20 some years, my husband and I have been married and I've been out on my own. Have I ever bought meat? And that was way back when, because I did not take my hamburger through all the way. But anytime I have ever priced meat, it has always been cheaper to go this homegrown route, even if you're purchasing it from a local farmer. And then you're only going meat shopping basically once a year to go and pick up your meat when it's from the butcher and or the cuts that you're going to get on butcher day itself. So technically twice, but twice a year and you're going to have your freezer full of meat. Now, we put the majority of ours in the freezer, but there are some cuts that I will definitely can up. But one of the questions I get a lot is how much freezer space do I need to hold this much meat? So we have got a fabulous chart done up for you. So you can look at if you're getting a whole beef, half a beef or a quarter of a beef, how much cubic feet you need so that you know how much freezer space you need in order to store it. And we're also going to throw in some of those other things, because if you're looking at beef, good possibility that you're going to be wanting to do the same thing with your pork and possibly your chicken. So we've got up a chart for you guys where you can look to see how much freezer space you need on average for these different animals and if you're doing whole half or quarter. So to get all of that and today's resources, definitely go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 214, just the number 214, because this is episode 214 and you will see the spot to get your hands on that chart. Now, you're going to want to also make sure that you are definitely subscribed to the podcast so that you do not miss the next episode in this series when it comes out, where we're going to be getting into the nitty gritty of calling in your cut and wrap order to the butcher and knowing what the different cuts are so that you can make sure that you are choosing the best cuts for you and your family, as well as some things that you need to tell them if you want them that they necessarily won't just give to you that you need to request. So definitely let me know if you've got any more questions on this part of the process. I would love to answer them in an upcoming episode. And I can't wait to be back here with you for episode number 215 on the cut and wrap process. Bye for now. We'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.